Hey y'all, it's Janice. Welcome to the Dirty Diversity Podcast. This is a place where we will be exploring equity, racism, and diversity. I am a DEI consultant, educator, writer, and professor who strives to center my work around the liberation of Black folks globally. More specifically, I examine and unpack how we can create structures that support the most marginalized folks in the workplace. This is a podcast where I will share my thoughts on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, anti-racism, and Black liberation. My goal is to stimulate your mind and shift you to think in a way that you've never considered before. This podcast will feature my thoughts as well as the perspectives of different folks doing related work. If you want to learn more, pick up my best-selling books, Dirty Diversity and The Pink Elephant, where I explore workplace equity in more detail. Thank you for listening. Hey, y'all. Jay Nice on the mic, back with another episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast. I've been doing really well with this consistency thing, and I'm excited because Mercury is out of retrograde, so it feels like things are getting back to normal. I just wanted to mention that for those of you who are working within organizations and institutions and your workplace is struggling with recruiting employees from underrepresented racial groups or retaining them, or even helping them advance and figuring out how to support them or address the pervasive microaggressions that permeate your workplace, you want to make sure that you reach out to me to talk more about how we can partner together. I realize that I don't mention the work that I do as much as I should, so I think many of you listening do know that I started in 2018 a consultancy where I provide help and guidance for leadership within organizations to help figure out recruiting, retaining, advancing, and supporting underrepresented racial groups. And so I just wanted to remind you all of that. And I think I'll, I'll make sure to mention that at the beginning of every episode. What I'm also doing is that I am hosting a microaggressions workshop for smaller organizations and nonprofits. If you're interested in learning more, please reach out to me via email at Janice at BWGBusinessSolutions.com. My email is also in the show notes, but on June 22nd, Thursday, June 22nd, uh, in the afternoon Eastern time, I'm hosting a microaggressions workshop online where I provide guidance around identifying microaggressions in the workplace, addressing and intervening when microaggressions occur, and mitigating and reducing microaggressions. The reason that I'm deciding to host this microaggressions webinar is because I have a lot of clients that reach out to me from nonprofits and small businesses, and they're requesting a workshop or a training, but they don't have a robust budget. So they're like, oh, we don't have enough money to necessarily hire you, or if they decide not to move forward with 
hiring me or with the proposal, the reason is typically budget and budget concerns. So I wanted to make my services more accessible to smaller companies and I don't want cost and resources to be a factor or to be a barrier. So I want to provide this webinar for a severely discounted rate for smaller organizations as well as nonprofits. So if you're interested in learning more, make sure that you visit my website, drjanisgassam.com and add yourself to my email list. I send out all of this information and I don't spam you for those of you who joined my email list. But if you think that your organization could take advantage of this workshop that I'm offering on June 22nd of this year, 2023, send me an email at Janice at BWGBusinessSolutions.com. So what else? What other housekeeping items? As always, I would love it if y'all rated and reviewed the podcast, this podcast, if you enjoy it. It helps with the visibility of the podcast. I'm trying to get more consistent on, I'm really consistent on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is like my place. So if y'all are on LinkedIn, that's where you can find me. But I'm trying to get more consistent. (laughs) It sounds even funny to say it on Facebook, right? Facebook, I had Facebook when I got to college and I've had it. It's been almost 20 years now, right? Um, In a couple years, it'll be 20 years since I had a Facebook. And I think I've just It's a different audience than when I initially joined, so I don't get on as much. But a lot of my people are on there, like from high school and college. So I'm trying to be more active on Facebook. I'm active and then I go through like hibernation periods on Instagram. But I'm also trying to be more active on TikTok. Um, And so I just saw that TikTok was banned, allegedly was banned in Montana. Let me not say allegedly because it's actually fact, but I was listening to this news program and they were saying it's actually really hard to restrict an app like TikTok in a state. Like people have already downloaded it. So are you going to cancel it from the app store in Montana? What if I'm like bi-coastal and I'm like in Montana and then I'm in New York? what happens like i it's just it doesn't i don't really understand how a ban will actually be possible but i guess we'll see so yes so let's get into the podcast episode i if y'all follow me on linkedin you may have seen that i posted a poll another poll and i wanted to break down the results of the poll because i think that this could really help a lot of organizations and institutions so in the poll i posed the question which intervention has been the most effective for your workplace when it comes to recruiting employees from underrepresented racial groups. If y'all remember, a couple weeks ago, I posted the same poll, but I asked about retention. And I asked about which specific interventions have been beneficial in helping, excuse me, organizations and institutions retain employees from underrepresented racial groups. And I was excited to see that employee resource groups were really, really effective. And I actually shared that with one of my clients who we established an employee resource group a few years ago. But I don't know if I'm surprised with the results of this poll, but so 
51% of respondents, so there were 181 votes. This poll was open for one week. And one of the many downsides of LinkedIn polls is you can't put in more than four options. So that kind of limits how, like, that limits the the options, right? I can't put as many sort of options as I would like. So I think that that's one of the downsides of the LinkedIn poll feature. But I'm assuming in the future they'll, they'll improve that. But so 51% of respondents, when asked this question of like, which intervention has been the most effective in recruiting employees from underrepresented racial groups, 51% of respondents said diversity-focused recruiters. So over half of respondents. So it sounds like investing in a recruiter who's diversity-focused or who helps to focus on underrepresented racial groups is the most effective according to my LinkedIn sample, or the LinkedIn sample, or my LinkedIn audience, rather. So 9,000 people did see this poll, but I guess many of the people that saw it may not be in a position where they're actually recruiting underrepresented talent, so that was also really interesting. So I've seen two different schools of thought when it comes to diversity recruiters. I've seen recruiters say, I don't call myself a diversity recruiter because that's baked into the fabric of what I already do. And then I've seen folks who are diversity focused saying, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I specialize in. And it's important to name that. And so I've seen, you know, I think it's interesting. I would... If I were a recruiter, I would go for someone specifically who isn't afraid to name what it is that they do. If that's your specialty, I want you to name that. I don't want you to be like, well, that should be baked into the fabric. It should be. There's a lot of things that should be something, but that aren't. So I think that if your organization, which this is a problem in virtually every organization, if your organization is struggling with recruiting employees from underrepresented racial groups think about hiring or bringing on a either an equity consultant or a recruiter who focuses specifically on recruiting underrepresented talent so 21% of respondents said and this was very interesting said that referral programs were the most effective and I've told this story before, and I actually wrote about it in my book that's coming out, my third book, Decentering Whiteness in the Workplace, which I would love it if y'all pre-ordered the book. The link to pre-order is in the show notes. And also, I'm so excited to share that I will, there will be a, I'll, next week, which is Memorial Day weekend, I have set up. Uh, a book advertisement in a really cool and exciting place and I'll share more of that with y'all but just follow me and connect with me on social media because I'll post pictures but I'm so excited but I talked about this in my book where I was working with a client and uh, a small organization and I told them that based on the research uh, when it comes to recruiting underrepresented talent, referral programs are not effective based on the research and my experiences with 
clients, right? Many of my clients have said when they have referral programs, it's especially in a more homogenous and white workplace, it's usually just white workers that get pushed through the pipeline, right? So if you're if you're struggling to recruit employees from underrepresented racial groups, but you have a referral program in place, I, as a white person, am more likely to know other white people. So I'm, even if it's not intentionally, I'm going to be more likely to refer my white friend. It's nothing personal. It's just as a black person, for example, as a black woman, I know and I'm in community with more black women than I am with other racial groups, right? And so if I'm referring someone, it's going to be more than likely a black woman. If your white employees are referring someone, it's going to be more than likely a white person. So in a homogenous, I would say the caveat is in a homogenous workplace where there isn't a lot of racial diversity, I would say that referral programs are not effective. I'm not able to break down who who essentially like the poll, like who the poll, who answered the poll is what I'm trying to say. I'm not able to break down what their position and level is and what organizations they're in. Because I would venture to say that referral programs work when you're in a a racially diverse organization. If you have an organization where there's a lot of racial and ethnic diversity, me as a Puerto Rican woman, for example, I have other Puerto Rican women in my network I can refer. Me as a Chinese American man, have other Chinese American people in my network I can refer. So that could actually be a really powerful and effective way to recruit underrepresented talent. But I would argue that in a white, a mostly white workplace, referral programs don't necessarily work. But I did, I was intrigued and interested in the fact that 21%, so one fifth of respondents said that, over one fifth of respondents said that. Referral programs did help them recruit underrepresented talent. So I think that that's really, really interesting. And you have to make sure that you're working with a skilled professional or somebody that has experience with referral programs to ensure that you are implementing them correctly. Because it's easy to just say, refer your friends without any sort of guidance for employees so that you're able to increase the amount of racial diversity in the pipeline. So 17% of respondents said that internships and apprenticeships were the most effective at recruiting employees from underrepresented racial groups. I could totally see that, right? Where I've worked with Amazon's apprenticeship program where they had this program where they took high school students, they took uh, Latin A and black high school students in the DC area and they put them in this apprenticeship program. And it was so cool because I did some workshops for them. And I could see how that could create a really great pipeline, right? If they intern or they, they're, excuse me, apprentices at Amazon, and then they stay working at Amazon, you have a direct pipeline to diverse talent that you could hire into the organization, right? So I think that apprenticeships could be really, really effective depending on the field or the industry that you're in and then internships right but as we all know internships can be exclusionary if they're unpaid right because as a person from an underrepresented racial group 
you are less likely to be able to take on an unpaid internship, right? Versus a paid internship. When I was teaching uh, at a um, small private school in Connecticut, I was advising students. So I had 20 to 30 students that I would advise as well, undergraduates. And one of the things that they had to do was business undergrads, before they graduated, they had to get an internship. And a lot of these students, you know, came from wealthy families, they came from Jersey, they came from New York, and they were able to take on unpaid internships. They'd be like, oh, I'm working with my dad. And they'd have to get paperwork filled out and signed, and the university had to approve it, but of course they would, like, and these students would be like, oh, I'm working with my dad and his firm, right? And I used to teach at a one of the SUNYs, which is the state stands for State University of New York. So SUNYs and City University of New York, CUNYs are state schools, right? And so SUNYs are very affordable. And so most of the undergraduate students I had when I was teaching at one of the SUNYs in New York is I had a lot of Latine and Black and Asian students, right? And so most of the students I had were a completely different demographic than the students I had in this small private religious school in Connecticut. And it's funny because I didn't advise students in when I was working in, in the SUNY University, but it was interesting because a lot of those students, when they would speak to me, they would come up to me, they would chat with me. They didn't have internships, as far as I know, right? Granted, their requirements may have been different because these students were in different majors, right? Not all of them were business students because I was teaching mostly psychology courses in this SUNY school and in this Connecticut school, I was teaching business courses. But I just thought it was really interesting because a lot of my students didn't have, my students of color didn't have internships and at this Connecticut University, these my mostly white students did, and they were working with family or friends over the summer, and these were unpaid internships. So if you do implement and integrate an internship program into your organization, making sure that it's a paid program, because if it's unpaid, you're just recreating the same biased and exclusionary structures that you're allegedly trying to avoid. So um, yeah, and then the last sort of intervention that I haven't mentioned yet is 11, only 11%, which I guess is not really that surprising, only 11% of respondents said that DEI training for recruiters helped them to recruit employees from underrepresented racial groups. So I thought that that was really interesting, only 11%. I think what that says is that I, are, I think recruiters that you're hiring should already be equity-minded, and that's important, and that that's difficult to train somebody on. Not saying that it shouldn't be done, but I don't think you should re rely on that solely to help you recruit underrepresented talent, because it's so easy to fall back on our own biases and our, our, our sort of like... Yeah, our unconscious biases, it's really easy to fall back on those. So even if you receive training on the ways that biases show up, like the um, affinity bias 
or the similar to me bias or the halo effect or the horns effect, even if you learn about those things, if you're not given the tools and the structure isn't implemented to mitigate those types of biases, it's really easy to unconsciously lean on those biases when you're making employment decisions. So I think that that type of training, maybe still spending time and effort on making sure that recruiters receive that type of training, but also really pouring into ensuring that you have a diversity focused recruiter in the first place, right? So step one, right? I think the way that these results can be taken here is my advice as a DEI consultant is I would say if your organization is struggling with attracting, excuse me, and recruiting employees from underrepresented racial groups, the first thing I would do is assess whether you can actually hire a diversity focused recruiter, right? I'm assuming, I'll give you two scenarios. Let's assume you are able to hire that person. I would say investing in that is important. I would also say making sure you're hiring a trainer or a workshop facilitator to make sure that you're training them as well. And then I would also say that in implementing an internship program or an apprenticeship program, if possible, would be you know, the best, and then seeing if there's extra funding so that you can provide some sort of stipend or funding to internship members or, or folks who are in the internship program. And then also thinking about referral programs and, and leaning on the expertise of a equity consultant or of someone knowledgeable within your organization about referral programs. Maybe someone has been in an in and organization where a referral program was implemented successfully. So that might be a great person to lean on. So that's what I would suggest. Some of you listening may say, well, what do we do if we don't have money, right? And I talk about this in my book, Decentering Whiteness in the Workplace, because one of the reviewers of my book read my book and they said that these are great, but I would love to hear more about organizations that are smaller or don't have the funding at the same funding as larger organizations. So I would say if your resources are limited, I would really say investing in and creating, I would say focusing on two things is important, right? Because if you have a DEI training for recruiters, I don't think that it's completely ineffective because 11% of folks said that that was effective for them. But I would say investing money in a facilitator would be less expensive likely than maybe um, investing money in an internship program. I think if you don't have money to pay interns a stipend, you shouldn't um, you shouldn't create an internship program because I think that, again, you're excluding uh, lower socioeconomic status folks who aren't able to take on unpaid internships. So I would say nix that if you if you're not able to pay them. DEI training for recruiters doesn't have to be an expensive thing, but I would say investing in that if you have several thousand dollars to invest in that workshop or that facilitation, and then seeing if you can record that so that you have a resource that recruiters can frequently come back to. So I would say that that would be a great investment. But if you have like zero money, I would say thinking about how to integrate a referral program, right? I would say being really intentional about utilizing the help of your employees and letting them know that you are really trying to 
source employees from underrepresented racial groups. And if they have any suggestions um, to, you know, have have a specific place where they can, you know, send recommendations and those recommendations can be vetted, I think that's a very inexpensive and likely no-cost strategy to utilize to recruit employees from underrepresented racial groups. I think having a diversity recruiter can be costly, right? It's not going to be free. So I would say that if you don't have funding, that might be something that you want to hold off on. But I would say really investing in a referral program, you know, and really pouring energy into that and then DEI training, because I I think that that can be generally um, less expensive than... Uh, some of these other interventions, right? I would say internships is great, but if you have, let's say, 20 interns, you have to give them money or you have to give them a stipend, right? And so let's say you're giving them a $1,000 stipend, that's 20000 that you would have to invest for an internship program, right? And that might be feasible for a larger organization, but for a smaller organization, that might not be something that's feasible, so I would say definitely looking into different types of training and workshops for recruiters so that they're able to understand how to mitigate their own biases. And then thinking about referral programs and introducing those and really putting out a call to the whole organization and letting folks know we're really trying to find a person from an underrepresented racial group who possesses the skills needed for this role. If you have any recommendations, you know, please reach out to X person or please send the name to this person. So I think that that could be those, that would be my strategy as a person leading an organization that has funding, right? I would say, first of all, hiring a diversity focused recruiter would probably be give you the most bang for your buck. But if you don't have funding, I would say really leaning on referral programs, and then even a DEI recruiter if your funding is um, limited, excuse me, not a, a DEI trainer for recruiters if your funding is limited. So if you are interested in just looking at the poll results, I will post a link to the poll in the show notes, as well as all of the other links that I've mentioned. Again, my third book, Decentering Whiteness in the Workplace, is will be released October 24th, 2023. So in a little over five months, my book will be out. I'll keep reminding y'all, because I know that for me personally, you you gotta tell me something like five, six, seven times before I actually go and do it. Like if it comes to like pre-ordering a book or pre-ordering something, you have to tell me over and over again. And I know many of y'all are like me. So so yeah, that's where I think I'm gonna leave uh, this this week's episode. If y'all want to learn more about me and how you can work with me, send me an email at Janice at BWGBusinessSolutions.com. Thank y'all so, 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 so much for listening. I really appreciate your listenership. I love y'all, and I will check y'all out in the next episode.